Welcome to Generative Age, a podcast that explores the rapidly evolving world of generative AI and its impact on education. Guided by our expert facilitators, Alana Winnick. We speak with practitioners and thought leaders in education who are shaping the course of generative AI in the classroom. Whether you're an educator, administrator, technology leader, or simply interested in the future of education, join us on this journey through the Generative Age. Powered by NiceState, the New York State Association for Computers and Technologies in Education. Join us as we explore the cutting edge of creativity and all the ways in which generative AI is changing the face of education. In this episode, we welcome Carl Hooker live from ISTE. If you were at ISTE, you may have noticed that the Wi-Fi was less than ideal, which is why the audio quality in this episode might be a little choppy at times. I apologize in advance. Something exciting happened since I last spoke to you on this podcast, and I published a book. And I bet you could guess what it's about. It's about artificial intelligence and the future of education. What do you think it's called? How'd you guess? The Generative Age, just like the name of the podcast. So if you enjoy listening to the podcast, I bet you would enjoy the book. Uh, Carl Hooker was actually an endorser of the book, so we do speak about it a little bit on this episode, and if you're interested, check it out. I'm excited to talk to anyone that reads it. Hey, team. This is Amy Del Corvo live at ISTE 23 in Philadelphia. We are thrilled to be here today in the next segment of The Generative Age, uh, facilitated by Alana Winnick, and we have a special guest today, uh, Carl Hooker. You may know Carl from EdTech Karaoke, EdTech <laughs> Trivia. He brings the hookers, has the fun. Wow. That's live and recorded, folks. That is live and recorded. And when I say bring the hookers, shout out to you, Renee. Oh. Everything you did for us, not only last year, your keynote at Watkins Glen for the folks in Southern Tier. Then um, I know you have this great following, but... Um, the nice gate team is like family. So we appreciate you so much. And we're glad to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. Okay, Carl, are, are you ready to jump in? I, I don't know what we're about to jump into, so I'm extremely nervous. Oh. I'm, I'm used to being the host, not the one getting grilled. Uh, although Steve Dembo does have a great idea for a podcast called Geeks Getting Grilled, oh. where you actually grill each other while you're grilling, which I think would be great. I'm just going to put that out there, Steve. kiss the cup. Yeah, he's wearing just an apron, though. Nothing else. That's <laughs> He's not listening, so it's okay. We're live at ISTE, ISTE Central. So. Before we jump, uh, you know, I, for me, it's um, I, it, it could be any name of a conference, but this one, more than any, I think, brings so many different ideas that I want to make sure I make sure with people that are sharing new ideas. I, you know, I got to meet you a couple of years ago at an amazing event by the name of NiceGate. Go Eagles! Sorry, as a Cowboys fan drives walks by, um, and I think you know, you and I started in on a conversation that I felt like was part of a conversation that led to even where you are right now with the Generative Age podcast. Not that I was a part of that, but I mean, I was just having those connections and being able to meet new people to me is such a big thing. And out of any space anywhere in the planet, ISTE is the space because it has so many people from so many different places. And so I get really excited about meeting new people. So to me, it's not about the sessions. It's not about the vendors, although that is a nice thing to have. It's about those connections you make with people. I just want to take a moment to thank you actually, Carl, because... Um, I wasn't setting her up, by the way. Not, no, this was actually something I wanted to bring up. Um, you really taught me how important it really is to empower other people, right? So I think that sometimes we don't realize that what we might say to someone makes such a big impact on them. And Carl's not remember this conversation at all. Yeah, I was. Uh, I'd had a couple of uh, ginger ales. Oh. <laughs> no, I do remember it. Um, but I he told me he really empowered me and made me 
he, he ignited the spark in me that made me believe I could do all of this. I, it took someone like Carl to believe in me and tell me that I could do it too. And here I am. So thank you very much. Um, it was your words that really lit that fire. Now, those of you that have listened to her podcast before and know anything about her book that's about to come out know that I had very little to do with that. It is all this dynamo right next to me. So actually, Lots of great ideas that you're putting out there. And I'm very proud in seeing where you're going. And I'm excited to learn from you, which is what I've been doing. Thank you. And you know what's funny? I never actually announced my book on this podcast. So this is your official announcement. Oh, whoops. Oh, Spoiler alert. You just heard it there first, folks. Those of you that are joining us live, you just picked up on that. Yep. The book's coming out. I never told anyone about it. Uh, yes. Endorser. I yeah, Well, I am one of her endorsers, actually. No, she's done a great job. She's written a book on generative AI, which I think some of you may have heard of. Those of you that are listening to this podcast now, you may have heard of that. I think, because I think that's the name of this podcast. Yeah. Um, so great uh, that you were able to kind of generate that content so quickly, but also I like kind of the lens of which you've talked about using generative AI. It's not just like, oh, here, use these 10 different AI tools to make fun things happen in your classroom. You really wrote it as an evergreen approach toward leadership, toward the ideology behind AI, but also the ideas of like, let's think of what are some of the repercussions of it? What are the ethics and bias? What are the ideas behind originality of content? So for me, I like that kind of higher level thinking too that you've written in the book. So I got a sneak preview. I'm very excited. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy it when it comes out. When is it coming out? August. All right, let's move to the next slide. So if you're here joining us live, the first thing in the chat, we just want to um, ask you, what risks have you taken with AI? And we're going to talk about it in a minute, but AI is new for everyone, right? So right. I we could jump into that now. Like AI is new for everyone. We're all taking risks right now, every single one of them. And Carl wrote a book, Things That Fail, about risk-taking. So he's right, over there. right here. <laughs> We have show props, folks. This is we spared no expense. That's right. Yeah, um, it's a great book. Highly recommend. Um, but maybe let's just jump into that while it's here, sure. Carl. What do you think? Like, you're the expert on risk taking. Yeah, I don't. I'm an expert on risk taking. Although I do take risks on a daily basis and fail quite regularly. But with with like the ethos and the mindset behind even that book is is this concept of it. Whenever something new is approachable, do you look at it? How do you dissect it? How do you use it? How do you analyze it? And then if you haven't even just started using it, like tell me one thing you've asked it to do or something different. Because usually the first couple of things you just want to play with it, right? And I think yeah. that's a big of anything in a classroom too. You want kids to take risks. You want them to try new things. Give them a moment to play and explore. I think adults are the same way. They need that time, right? Yeah, and anybody listening to, we'd love to hear about that too, right? Like, what were some of your, uh, tell us, like, what are some risks that you've taken maybe with AI? Now, with me, I'll say specifically on that when we move to this one too, I'll talk about that. But, um, you know, I recently had an interesting thing. We'll talk about this app in just a second, but I had an interesting dilemma when I had uh, a good friend of mine, Brianna Hodges, shout out to Brianna, um, who was supposed to be actually a uh, keynote speaker with me on a panel at a recent conference. And because she had a family emergency pop up, she wasn't able to come. And I'm thinking, okay, well, one panel is short, but I really wanted to have her voice on the panel. I used AI to generate the responses and then put it in the tone of her voice and then the image of her face uh, with her permission, of course, which then opens up a whole, by the way, side chat about that. Yeah, yeah. I'll talk about how we used it, but uh, what tools we used. But it was interesting, too, because the audience's response was different. They actually preferred the human experts over the expert on most things because it was actually an interactive poll where the audience could vote on whoever had the best answers. And so it was kind of neat to see the responses to see like how much they were like, oh yeah, they kind of turned on AI quick, I thought, which I think, and you work with teachers all the time. So you probably see this too. It's like, are they turning on it right away? Are they feeling like, oh, I'm scared. I'm just going to stay away. I feel like there's two phases, phase A and phase B. And phase A is teacher use. And you really just try to get them to buy in 
by showing them how much time it will save them. And then hopefully they use it with their students because they see the power of it. But I think it's them really buying in first. Right. I think that buy-in is important. I think, uh, and I think buy-in and ownership can be two different things too. Like buy-in is the initial, yes, I believe in it. Ownership is like, oh, now I'm actually creating with it, right? right. So it's almost like the next level of saying, okay, now we're really invested in it. Um, I love this roadmap you have here. Yes, that's today's roadmap. So it's, we're going to go over the landscape updates. We're going to talk to you about some new resources. We're going to talk about risk-taking, any questions we have from the audience. And then we're going to invite you to join the next session. So hey, there I am. There you are. So um, Amy already did a great job of introducing you, but I just wanted to say he is a friend of NiceGate. He's been at how many conferences? This is my, this will be my third. I, this will be, I just did my third NiceGate. Wow. The first one though was 2020, which was virtual. Virtual. Yeah. Virtual. I was brought in to be a trivia, a virtual trivia night person. And then, uh, they're like, oh, he also speaks. <laughs> so yeah, I keynoted the next year, the first, I think, in-person one, right when we came back in 21. So that was kind of cool. But yeah, friends, as as uh, Amy mentioned, also family. I do love my folks at NiceGate. Um, and I just really enjoyed learning a lot from the regions in New York and learning like kind of the challenges that you guys are facing too. It's such a diverse With Edlaw TV. I mean, all the different things are coming thrown at you. And it is a very diverse state. So I, I love that part of it. And Texas, don't get me wrong. It's I love Texas too. That's where I'm from. But um, just some of the neat things I've learned kind of picked up from New Yorkers. I feel like an honorary New Yorker. What do you think is different about Texas versus New York? What do you notice the biggest difference? Uh, the biggest difference for me is like, I, I think that they're, you're going to run into people that don't want to take risks. You're going to run into people that don't have growth mindset in every region I've gone to. That's pretty universal. The differences I think I see in Texas sometimes, depending on where I'm at, sometimes there is um, almost like a cultural mindset of like, we're just not going to, we're going to stick with the way we've always done things. Right. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen in New York. What I feel like with New York is it's more of a, I might think about doing this, but you need to prove it to me why it means sense, why it makes sense for me to try something different or take a risk. So they're still open to it. They're not so much like, well, we're just, I'm going to keep teaching the same way for 25. It just seems like in New York, there's a little bit, there is some hesitation, but it's not, it's different. It's almost like, yeah, I'm just hesitating until you can prove it to me. Right. If I can prove it to a New Yorker, yeah. then I'm like, okay, now I've got it. And yeah. then I'll go back to Texas and prove it to the Texans. <laughs> and then the Alaskans too, just happen to be walking by taking pictures while we're live on the air. But she's from Alaska. <laughs> Or yes. She's made that yes. Up. No, she's from Alaska. She is. Are Can you sing us the Alaska fight song live on the podcast? I'm just joking. There's no Alaska fight song. It's bears. She's probably she's, like traveled the furthest at any. Uh, record for the farthest travel to ISTE? Probably. Melody. Two people in the Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wave at the camera. It's right there on that chair. <laughs> that's right folks this is live so anything can happen so a friend of NiceGate, a, a risk taker hence the book ready step elbow and i see we just got i got a direct message in the chat Ooh. uh and it says mark del corvo <laughs> who i know very well amy's husband wants to know why i'm wearing an eagles jersey and he is very deeply concerned <laughs> after i just got done saying all my love for new york i realize i'm wearing Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, wow. But yeah, this is a childhood. Uh, I didn't even process that. We should probably cover it up. No, no, no. Go birds. Go yeah, birds. Everyone. <laughs> We're not discriminating. So he's also written seven books. Yep. Seven books. That's really impressive. It's, it's, I've written one now. It's hard enough to write one. That's really impressive. Yeah, I, I blacked out after the second book, but I think I wrote something important. No, it was a six-book series with ISTE, uh, which is where we're coming to you live from today. Uh, that is uh, all about mobile learning. Written in 2016-17, it was about what would happen if you had to rely just on technology. Like, imagine a global pandemic is coming in 2017, and then it happened later. I didn't actually write that part into the book, but it was that idea that we have to be more aware and more cognizant of how we're using technology in a purposeful way. 
So really centered around that, more of a technical book written toward each audience member, meaning an administrator, a parent, teacher, so on. And then Ready, Set, Fail, which I've written under X Factor, which is Matthew Joseph's uh, publishing house, really more about kind of the broader concept of, of failure and risk-taking, not just with technology, but as a mindset, as an ethos in your classroom, because too oftentimes we use school as a place to have conformity and compliance and not enough risk-taking and innovation. So changing little structures in your classroom, not grading systems or state testing, to invite more innovation and risk-taking in a classroom. So that's why I wrote the last book. Rewind to the first set of six books for a second. Yeah, yeah. So we're only using technology to communicate with people. Actually, this was one of the questions that ChatGPT generated for me that's in my book. That was a writing pop for students. It was something like, if you could only communicate with technology with other humans, what issues do you see could happen in society? <laughs> well, I would like to take you back to 1909. There is a 27-page uh, book written by, which is now available on the internet because it's over 100 years old. It's written by someone called R.M. Forrester. He wrote a book called, a short story called The Machine Stops. And what this book is about is about a world where everybody lives uh, surrounded by machines. Again, written in 1909. And uh, the machine feeds them food down a food tube. They have... Uh, video screens where they can watch people like in other countries. And again, 1909. So the technology didn't exist. Had this idea and it created the air conditioning, everything, the whole, your whole atmosphere. And then what happens is in the middle of the story, not to spoil the book, uh, but the machine stops, which is the name of the book. So the machine stops creating the way for their to have the technology stops. And so they're forced to go outside and interact and they struggle mightily with it. Because they like they tell the machine to like help me fly to this this place, even the planes hadn't been invented by the time this book was written, and it it was it, it was basically saying we need to make sure that we still have the muscle memory and the and kind of that strength building exercise that happens when we're writing when we're doing those processes, so we have those skills because then we won't always have the technology to rely on all the time. We have it a lot, but there's we don't have it, so that's why I think it's so important. Even though ChatGPT can write for you and everything, to have still like the practice of writing and then the processes of kind of that muscle memory is so important. So for teachers that kind of get scared of it, I'm like, yeah, you still need to teach the processes. Yeah. Sure, they can write a 500 word paper less than a minute now, right? but it's still about that process. And that human element. He's the host of his own podcast, two of them actually, Undisrupted and Learning Unleashed. Um, do you want to give a quick, just summary of what each one's about? Sure. Um, Undisrupted is a podcast I do with my co-host, Dr. Adam File. I just saw one of my guests walking by just now. Um, and it's basically geared toward tech leaders, uh, CTO directors, really just looking at all the disruptive changes that are happening on a regular basis in technology. So you can imagine we have a lot of content. Um, we put in some pop culture there. We do some fun things like eat hot chicken wings while we do interviews. Just weird general things. But we're going to do... And talk about... Oh, yes, she's watched. She's listened to the show. Yes, Adam's, uh, as we call it, as uh, only hands. Uh, page, not only fans, only hands. Um, and so uh, that's that's kind of a fun interactive podcast. We had just different guests we kind of put under the mic. And then um, Learning Unleashed uh, is brought to you by ISTE. ISTE authors uh, primarily is who I'm interviewing on that one. And it's, you know, talking about some of the content that's being put out through ISTE and ISTE's channels. So I'm very excited. There was actually the first podcast officially that I ever, that ever got sponsored by somebody. So ISTE reached out to me and said, do you want to do a podcast? Wow. We should make it about this and, and just kind of, and they've let me have a lot of creative freedom with them, which is nice too. So yeah. And now I've actually got three other podcasts too, but I, won't three, yeah. I have five that I'm doing right now. Like you're the host of. I'm the host of five podcasts. Yeah. yeah. The Guinness record is eight. So I got three more. Yeah. By the time ISTE's over, I'll have at least three more. 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> Not really. I bet you will. <laughs> and then he's the founder of K-12 Leaders. So I know we had that at the end, but while we're on a roll, want to just... Yeah, yeah sure. So K-12 Leaders is a social media platform built by uh, teachers for teachers. And it's a lot of educator friends of mine got together a couple, three years ago. We were being, we were feeling a little, uh, let's just say, uh, ungracious, <laughs> not really excited about some of the changes that were happening at Twitter. And that was our main platform. And so we said, let's build our own platform and let's make it kind of an educator safe space. We'll have educators, but also educationally adjacent. So vendors, solution partners, not necessarily parents uh, in there, because that's also part of the problem with social media sometimes is we don't have our own space to share. And so um, we created this free space for teachers. So we're just going to give you some updates around generative AI, new things that are happening in the landscape. So in case you didn't sign up for... Google Workspace Labs. I put a link for you on the slide deck. If you sign up for Google Workspace Labs, it's launched already. So AI, generative AI, their model BARD is embedded directly into Google Docs. Like literally in Google Docs, it's there. So there is no escaping it. So if you want to block it in your schools, that's <laughs> fine. Right now, this is in beta. You have to you do have to sign up and it does say there are human reviewers that may read, annotate, and process your lab interaction data. Do not include personal, confidential, or sensitive information while using lab features because there are humans reviewing it. But this is in beta now, and I'm sure, mark my words, by the mid halfway through the school year, I, I'll be generous. This will be full-blown embedded into Google Docs and Microsoft Word. And there, even if you want to block ChatGPT, you can't hide from it, right? Yep, and I think... You're right on the timing. It'll probably be about a month after the school year started when we're all just finally settling down as technology integrates. And then here's a disruptive change again. The other one being, um, I think, you know, Canva already has built in that magic right, yeah. which I was like, this is just ChatGPT. I mean, but it's built in. So for teachers like, well, it's blocked. I can't use it. Actually, it's kind of neat. It's very similar, right? And Canva's it. been signing um, our DPAs in New York State. So yeah. it's already out there. Awesome. People just don't know about that. But yeah, I'd say it's it's going to be embedded right into our word processing documents, yep. probably halfway through the school year, very least. So I mean, think about, you know, 20 years ago when we had the little blue and red under happening when we write, right? And then now, 10 years ago, we're writing emails and all of a sudden it's filling in the last few words for us. So it's been slowly integrating anyway. Yeah. So I think like whether you're, it's blocked in your district or it's not, you might want to start having conversations about uh, what your district or school's position is because you're going to have to start reviewing and revising your policies and making a position statement. That's actually in my book. Um, but like yeah, it is. But I think it's really important to start having those conversations because we're just going to wake up one morning and it's going to be in our word processing document. Right. So we have to prepare ourselves for that moment. Start now if you haven't yet. Yeah, you're already probably behind, right? in some ways, yeah. which is why I'm, I, I like that you wrote a lot about that too in your book. But I think, you know, yesterday when we were at the tech and learning thing, when I asked the audience how many of them knew their school's position, did you see how many hands went up? Two. Yeah. Two, Two. out of 70-ish leaders had anything even close to being written, right? So there was acceptable use. Or, or, or they, they didn't even know where their district stood. There's no position. Yes. Like I found that fascinating. Less than 5%. And they're, that's a pretty innovative group. So I would say they're ahead of the curve, yeah. which means that probably less than 1% of people out there have actually thought about what's our position and then how are we going to, right now it's blocked and then figure it out. You're right. That's going to be interesting to see. Like in the next three months, we're going to be scrambling. Yeah. A lot of us are. Yeah. Okay. So the next slide is uh, you had brought up like the concept of deep fakes. So there's this teacher, Dan Wiener, you know, Carl Hooker meets Dan Wiener. Thank you. Yeah. There's so many. Poor Dan, but I mean, at least, yeah, 
Never mind. I'll just, I'll just stop there because there's live, there's people walking by right now and I don't want to say what I'm going to say. Sam Wiener is in the language arts department in Seattle, Washington. The completely other side of the country. Closer to Alaska. Yep. Just walked by. Yep. So I'm going to just let him set the stage. I have a little audio clip of him setting up a situation and then we're going to hear what happened as it unfolded. So we'll just press play. We'll hear what Dan has to say. Oops. My name is Dan Wiener and I teach language arts at West Seattle High School. Hopefully you can One hear that on the podcast. One of the I teach is a college in the high school class for seniors, which provides students the opportunity to earn college credit by completing the high school curriculum. Part of my curriculum is a unit on persuasive speech and debate, culminating in a series of scored team debates. The propositions being debated are determined by me and the students through a series of surveys and guidelines. Now, this year, one of the propositions was a congressional order that AI development be temporarily halted. One of the students arguing for the proposition, Gerald Molina, asked my permission to record my voice during a lecture and then use it to create a deep fake to play during the debate. I agreed under the condition that in the presence of a witness, we both sign a contract defining the time period during which he'd be allowed to record me. I didn't want to know specifically when he was doing it and specifically what he would manipulate my voice into saying. And when he played it for me, he told me how cheap and simple it was to create this very convincing deepfake. I was very impressed by his work, but extremely frightened at the capabilities of this technology. So you just heard Dan Wiener's actual voice, and now we're going to hear the deep fake that his student made using his voice. Okay, interesting. Let's see. Uh, class is canceled for the remainder of the semester. I'll be allowing all you clowns free roam during my period, and you get an automatic A for this class. I also enjoy polishing my bald head until a mirror finish to blind people when I walk by them. It's funny, but I'm also like thinking in my head, at some point in the next school year, you know there's going to be some news story about a student sending home a uh, voice message from the superintendent that isn't actually the superintendent because it's been deep faked yeah. because of the AI. And Steve Dembo, who we were making fun of earlier, actually told me that there's now tools. And you and I were talking about this on Friday a little bit that can you just listen to about 10 minutes of recording. That's all they need. And they can yeah. replicate your voice and intonation and style. Uh, I'm going to have to play with that. Yeah, so the, on the next slide, I put the tool that he uses. He uses oh, yeah. 11 Labs. And he said it cost $1, $1 for him to download this software. And it took him 30 minutes total from recording to editing to do this. So it's super cheap and super easy. So this is about, you know, students. And this was in a safe space. And they knew about it. But like you were saying, this might be done in an unsafe with a superintendent or a teacher. But then I also have heard a story, and this is a little bit scarier, and you're a parent. It sounded like a child calling the parent and saying, I need you to wire X person money so they'll let me free or something. They were like in a bad situation. And it sounded exactly like the child. So the the child should have been in school. So the parent actually called the school and found out the child was actually in school. It was not them. But I think, you know, being a parent, if you thought that your child was in a, a compromised situation, you would do anything, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And your brain doesn't always work at the right moment right then, right? Because you're having this moment of hysteria. So, and there's another case I heard where the there was a daughter and she was actually upstairs in her room. But her mom and they were calling the police. They did, you know, and then she at one point went upstairs and thought, let me go check and see. Oh, she's here. And she's like, what are you talking about? And it was the same thing, just like that. There was a ransom type situation. So, yeah, it's almost like you have to built in 
maybe like code words. I mean, we kind of do that with our kids anyway. I have a 14, 11 and 10 year old, all girls. And there's like certain code words that they can use that I know that they're kind of in a rough spot, let's say. So in this case, if they didn't say it, then I know that that wasn't really them. Yeah, I think that's probably smart. I didn't think about that. But yeah, if you want to use it in a legal way, 11 labs, $1, sorry, 11 labs, $1. But that's ethical. I hope you use this ethically and not unethically. Yeah. I just I think it'd be interesting to see too cuz I mean when I when I think about the positive ethics of this I mean bringing back voices to the past you know figuring out ways because there's all these recordings of, of famous historical figures that are no longer with us but you know and I think that could be done in a in a nice in a very educational way but again you're going to have to balance that with the ethics of also how could it be used for misuse and I think that's by the way universal for any new technology tool ever right it's always like there's this piece it, and then oh, there's this kind of evil way to use it too. Right, but yeah, so if you are one dollar, just one dollar. But I think feed, uh, no, <laughs> an AI child, no, no. But I think what we should take from what Carl just said is, if you are a parent, make the code word with your child. Yeah, I think that's really smart. What we could take away. From we use a text emoji too, which is like an old school sort of non-technical thing to do. But if they're ever in a tough situation with their friends, they just text a little. I won't say what it is, but it's a symbol that only I know it means something's wrong. And uh, when they're with their friends, it looks obvious because they're just texting like everybody does. Right. But they're like, ooh, I'm uncomfortable now. And then what I do is I call them and say, hey, I'm coming to, I'm coming to grab you. Something just came up at home. I need to get you home. And I don't even ask them. I'm just like, I just want to pick you up because I want you out of that. If it's an uncomfortable situation for you or unsafe, if someone's in, in danger, I do tell them you need to tell me. But if it's just like maybe they're talking about stuff that makes you uncomfortable, just step out yeah. and be polite about it because they don't want, you know, they got a safe face too. I like that. Thanks for sharing. So... We always like to give you resources, and I thought this was a really awesome. fitting resource, given that we're at ISTE, yeah. forward slash AI. They have educator guides of all about AI, and there's various content areas, subject areas, and even unplugged activities. So if you don't have devices for every child, or you are working in a preschool or kindergarten classroom, and you don't really use devices, you could still learn about AI without maybe getting super technical. And then another thing is now that it's summer break for most of us, I think mo- almost all of us. I think everybody, yeah. yeah uh, you probably have time on your hands. So they do have an AI course and all of this is free. Free 99, folks. You heard it right here live on the podcast. It is all free 99. No 99, just free. <laughs> just free actually, just free. just free. Carl has his own blog. And he's actually been blogging a bit about AI. This is your second blog post about Yeah, AI? I did the <laughs> the incomplete guide uh, in response to AJ Giuliana. He was a friend of both of ours. He came up with a complete guide to AI, and I called it the incomplete because there's no way it's complete. It's going to continue to just grow and learn. So I did an original one about that. This one's more, um, not to get into tools, but I think we're in this like, onset of an AI app explosion, I would say. Just yeah. like, remember the app store 10 years ago? Yeah. About to happen again with AI, or it is already happening. Yeah. And you know what? Um, oh, Almost got hit by a paper plane. That was so close. That was so That fresh shaven man right up there. I see him. Um, <laughs> future poets. I uh, think that when we see a lot of tools pop up, we, we do have to be mindful. Like as a tech director, when teachers start using tools, especially in New York with data privacy laws and needing DPAs, they always need to check with their tech director first. But I also think, yes, there's so many new new tools popping up, but we're going to start to be seeing this embedded into every tool we already used to. Right. If it's not there yet, it's probably gone. Yeah, it's been there for a while too. And that was a, that was some of the interesting research about this project, particularly as I went back and looked at the history of AI, which I know you've done some of too. You know, the first computer that actually used artificial intelligence. And I asked a crowd of teachers, like, when's the first AI tool that was ever invented? Go, tell me a year. And it was like 1998 or 1991. Or one teacher said 
72. And I was like, oh, you're so close. Actually, you're not. 1951, first computer ever used, the Mark I computer used in uh, Oxford University, to, which was the size of a classroom, was used to design basically a very simple game um, using artificial intelligence. 1951, that's, that. <laughs> that's a long time ago. So it's not new, but you're right. I think we're slowly seeing it baking into everything now, which is good. We do want technology to kind of be embedded. Um, these particular tools were ones that I've used in the yeah. last few months. So it's not just, a, oh, I heard about this, but I also wanted to try it and use it so with Carl teachers and students. Yeah, 10 tools that he recommends. And I think that's important that he's tried them and used them. Um, we always want to make sure as a leader that you try Vetting them. Yeah. 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 I heard this was really cool. Try it out. And then it's like every copyright or privacy law it broke. Yeah. No, not good. Yeah. Uh, so it's mrhooker.it forward slash 10 AI. We linked it for you as well. And he's just going to pick his top two and share sure. them with us and talk to us about how he's used them. Yeah. So you see number one already on the wheel, there's chat GPT, but I'm not going to go into that because I think everyone's got lots of things out there for that. Lots of great resources. Monica Burns, if you hadn't had a chance yet, she actually has put out a couple of amazing blogs on prompts and things you can use with chat GPT. Um, this is the one I was talking about earlier when we were talking about Brianna and the mishap where she couldn't show up. Uh, I use the DID avatar generator, which is now embedded in Canva, which we were just talking about how Canva has really kind of taken on this charge of putting things in there and then using it educationally appropriately. Um, but they have a lot of stock people that can get up and do um, different types of text-to-speech. Essentially, it's text-to-video creation. But what's amazing about it is if you can get a clean enough background on somebody, like a white background or a solid color background, Not with like uh, it would work with this, actually. It would. And I just got Alana to take a still image. I could actually take Alana, put her in a this DID avatar generator, and I could text in what I want her to say. I could change her tone. I can make her sound like she's from the South all of a sudden. You know, it would just be anywhere, right? So I could, so I could have a Texas twin. You could have a French accent. Yeah, it could change the way you sound. Or using some of the tools you just talked about with um, the deepfake. Remind me of that tool was the dollar. Uh, Eleven Lab. I Eleven think. Lab. You could actually, I guess in theory, I could also import the audio that's yeah. going to be your actual voice, which gets... Now it's now I'm just blowing my own mind. I'm like, what just happened? But what was amazing about it was it was very fast, easy to use, not cheap. It was $10, I want to say, for a month to get, uh, I think, 10 minutes. Wow. So you get a couple minutes for free, and it, they charge you by basically the minute of the, the video you're making. So if you put in a couple of paragraphs, it's a minute pretty quick. Uh, and so d, d slash id.com. Actually, Brett Salakis from Australia, who is a good friend of mine, told me about this one. Uh, and in a pinch at lunch, we created those avatars. Um, this is the other one. This, um, and again, it's funny how these are all tech tools, but I'm crowdsourcing where I'm getting these from. Cause again, this is another one that came from a referral. Danielle Parker, who I work with in Hallsville ISD, showed me this and she was showing her teachers. This one's called questionwell.org. What it is, it's an AI basically quiz generator. And what I love about it is after you say like, okay, I want um, something about, uh, give me something about cell structure for seventh grade students and I need 20 questions on it. And it'll generate 20 questions. You can pick, cherry pick what you want them to be. And then there's an export button. You can export it to Kahoot, Quizzes, Kimkit, Canvas, Canva, uh, Blookit, Quizlet, anything. And so it's quick. So you get these quiz questions fast. You can put them into a platform you're already using, get those quick responses from students. But like anything else, make sure you vet them because we noticed some, a little hallucination, not a lot. I mean, with anything, you're gonna have a little percentage of inaccuracy. So. Yes, it's great to save time, but also double check your work before you put it out there yeah. and make sure it's accurate. I think like the hallucinations is a really big deal. Yeah. Really make sure every AI you use, you double check all of it because I've had some pretty bad hallucinations. Yes. Yeah. And the, well, in GPT 3.5 to 4, there's been obviously that the, it's like went from like 80% hallucination problems to like 10%, but there's still issues. Well, now with, with GPT 4, I searched the web and I asked it to write a bio about me. 
And if try that, try that for fun. That is yes. Go try That's that. your homework for the podcast. Yes. And then what does it generate? I so my dad who just passed away a few months ago, I asked it to write a, a, bio, a biography about him, and it made up a story. And some of it sounded like him, but he's not really on the internet. So I think it was actually taking pieces of my life. And then I asked it to write a biography about myself. And same thing, like Alana was saying, it's interesting to see what actually pops up. It's never. It's like, oh, he won these awards. I was like, I didn't even know I won those awards. He hosts this podcast. I never even hosted that podcast. That's one of the 17 I don't host. So it was. He's won the Guinness Book of World Records for the most podcast. We're going to so. do that. It's not actually in Guinness. I looked it up already, but it doesn't exist yet. Yes, we'll get it in there. <laughs> yeah. And then we sort of just, yeah. we, we already covered this, but yes, he wrote this amazing book, Ready, Set, Fail, which is why we're here today. So I know I asked you before about failure um, with AI risk taking, but I guess what advice do you have for everyone? who hasn't tried, who's hesitant to try it, who hasn't, haven't used it with their students yet that are scared of maybe the hallucinations that might come right. up. What advice do you have for them? I think start with something simple. And and I know that's an easy thing to say, but what does that mean? So if you're teaching younger kids using, obviously younger kids are going to be diving into GPT because there's also age restrictions, but demonstrating some use of it for them. So for example, um, we were writing stories the other day with some fourth graders. And I said, I went to a Chicago Cubs game for the first time in my life. And I was like, I want to write a story about it. So I wrote some stuff down. And then I said, now I'm going to see, I'm going to ask ChatGPT to tell the story of this guy coming from Texas. I'm going to give him my name and I'm going to see what the story is and how close it aligns with mine. And it made up some stuff because obviously it didn't actually experience what I experienced. Right. And I said, okay, so there's a start. Now, how do we make it better? And so then the kids were like, oh, you could give more detail about, you know, you ordered this Chicago style hot dog, which is very interesting, by the way. <laughs> I ordered one of those and like how uh, I almost caught a fall ball and it, things like that that were more personal. And so the kids saw it as like, okay, so that's just getting you started and that starting point. The teachers in the room when I was doing this with a group of fourth graders, they were in the back laughing. I was like, why are they laughing? They said, because they hadn't seen it ever used. And they were like, oh my gosh. And so then for the next hour, all they were doing was creating prompts in ChatGPT. And then also afterwards, they were kind of like, this is scary, but also exciting. And I said, you just described most pieces of technology, by the way. Scary and exciting. Yeah. That's disruption, right? Scary and exciting. Yeah. Um, so failure, right? So with risk taking, sometimes we fail. Right. We hope that we take risks and they're just like learning opportunities. And we know right away, oh, I learned from that next time I'll do X. But what if there is a Failure. Yeah, I think that failure, and I think, you know, I, the book itself, even though it's about risk taking, failure is really the central concept. And that is, what do you feel like when you fail? What is like physically happened to you when you make a mistake in front of people? I mean, we all make mistakes. By the way, we use technology all the time, like even just <laughs> setting this up, lots of little mini failures. Yeah. And so, do you let it impact you? Do you let it stop you from growing and learning? And I think with teachers, uh, this is a different kind of struggle than it is with students. I mean, there is still the struggle with students, but teachers have a lot more of history and baggage and also egos and mindsets and saying like, we already know all of our stuff. So why should I try something new? Or I'm afraid to try something new because if it blows up in my face, I'll be embarrassed or I'll feel like I wasted time or my students didn't get to learn because of it. What I challenge them to say is like, when you do fail and you create opportunities for failure, and we were talking about this earlier with um, esports too, not every student is going to be in a sports team. And I love sports because kids have an opportunity to fail as a team, but only a handful of kids do that, right? right? I was not enough. I am not very athletic. So I never really had that opportunity. But you got involved with something, right? You did. Yeah. 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 I, well, I, I became a cheerleader, not because I wanted to, but I wanted to be part of a team. You wanted to be part of something. Yeah. But then, and even in cheer cheerleading, there's going to be failure, right? Because you're practicing routines and right. there's the one person. Else. And so 
even in that practice, but doing it with a team is so important. So for me, it's like well, it's real world. Like when right. you're not going to work in isolation, Never. now you're not part of a school district and you're like on your own, but you're not in isolation. You're working with people all the time. I think working with people and failing and growing and learning that collaborative piece is so important for the success of everything. And that's, and that's another point of the book is, you know, if those kids don't have that opportunity, we need to create the opportunities in the classroom. If not every kid's in sports or in cheerleading or band, or if they're just not, they're kind of look, you need to give them some opportunity where they can see what it's like to grow and learn and fail. I love Adam Bellows breakout ADU because man, you know, 20% succeed, yeah. so 80% fail. Yeah. And that's where the real learning happens is afterwards when like those kids who are sometimes in high school with tears in their eyes of frustration, start realizing well, we didn't communicate well, or we didn't plan well, or we didn't collaborate better. That's why we failed. So that analyst, that uh, the analytics that happened right afterwards is so important too. And so to me, it's like, we need to create more examples of shared risk-taking and shared failure and then recovery from that failure and reflection on it. So two more quick questions that sure. I just thought of. One, you were talking about that feeling we get when we fail. Yeah. Okay. So what if a teacher accidentally, or a student, a student didn't check the AI generated output and there's hallucination in there. And they failed. They failed. They didn't check it over. What would you say to them? I think the big the big thing is ownership of what you do and, and then outwardly talking about it. So if you're a teacher doing this in front of students, I think it's important to be like, hey, I'm trying something new too. Like verbalize that in front of your students. I'm taking a risk here. I'm going to try this. And then you tell them in just less than 20 seconds, hey, this could totally fail. Like I've never done it. You guys are doing this with me. They actually get more excited about that because they actually lean in a little more like, and then you even tell them like, maybe can you help me, like help me figure this out? You know, you don't have to be the expert at everything. And I think kids, when they hear that, they're like, okay, well, I can do it. I could get up there and say, okay, here's how you use ChatGPT. Here's what I'm going to ask it and everything. But instead ask them the question, like, what, what should I ask it? Like, how can I ask it a better question? That is so hard because that's that higher level balloons of critical thinking versus just saying, okay, here's you go. Click here, click here, type this in, do that. Um, and so giving them that opportunity, but you modeling that failure and saying, okay, I messed up. Ooh. And sometimes, you know, I even do them on purpose right? and be like, oh man, this, I totally crashed. What should I do? I just totally crashed this program project I was trying to work on. How do I fix it? So even breaking things on purpose, sometimes yeah. we don't need a lot of help because things break all the time, but um, sometimes doing that and then, and not being too, uh, you know, fake about it, but then being candid, like, yeah, I just, what do we do now? So modeling is so important for kids. And to so see. what about the child, maybe some academic dishonesty in there? Yeah. Yeah. So the teacher needs to approach that, right? So how do you think the teacher should approach them? Well, I think one thing that, you know, teachers should never do is ever call it a kid in front of everybody. And I think that's something where there's a concern or an idea, an idea that there may be some academic uh, dishonesty, pull them aside and talk to them about it and say, Hey, I noticed some differences in your writing, or I noticed some differences in what you were, what you turned in, or I noticed that, you know, you kind of went from zero words to a thousand words. And like, you copy pasted it into Google and all of a sudden it looked like you just did it all yourself. Let's talk about what did you use and, let's, and, and did you use something else to help you with this? And if you did, I want to know what it is. Teach me more about it. Don't be accusatory or judgmental. Instead, be like, okay, I want to learn more about it. I mean, I've had you know kids try all sorts of things before AI ever came around, before Google came around. You know, cheating has always been a problem in schools. Um, if you don't have open conversations about what is their motivation to cheat, a lot of times it's grades, pressure from home, um, pressure from their peers, pressure from themselves. And so hitting that very human part of it, I think is important too. So not just saying, well, you cheated, you shouldn't do that by, you know, now I'm going to give you enough. No, let's talk about why did you feel motivated to do it? Like what made you feel like you had to do it? And sometimes it's a kid maybe who's struggling with learning or struggling with writing. My, I have a daughter who's severely dyslexic. She loves the idea of using chat GPT to get her started because, yeah. but she's going to be accused right now. If she does it, she's going to be accused of cheating, even though 
she has amazing stories and sometimes she needs something to get her started and that would get her started. Um, so we have to kind of reframe that thinking of like cheated, aha, got you to you cheated. Aha, tell me why you did. What was it? Did you, was it cheating or was it just that you just ran out of time? Do we need to talk about time management better? Sometimes it's that, right? So it's never as simple as you cheated or you didn't. And I think there's layers of that. And I think you talk about that in your book too, yeah. the different layers of yeah. dishonesty and, and where does it, where does it fall along the lines of you just totally cheated to Maybe I use it as a tool to help me. And I'm just focusing on that grade. You talked about the grades. That's really the end product, right? Absolutely. Like the end product. But I, if you if you ask a math teacher, what if the child showed all their work and their work was like nearly perfect, and then the answer was wrong, would they get a zero? Yeah, I mean, in some cases they would, but most math teachers nowadays give you credit for the work. Yeah. yeah, which I love. Yeah. So that's kind of I think how we have to look at assessment forward is looking at that learning process and the steps they took to get there instead of that final end product. And I love rubrics that take that into account. Yeah. Or, yeah. It's like, okay, so yes, you made this polished video or this polished infographic. What were the things that you did? What was the steps in your process? Analyzing, how did you work with others better? Mm-hmm. That process is part of the grade, which is great. And that's less of an opportunity to fail because you're really having those checkpoints throughout the whole process. Yeah. I think we need more of that in schools. And I think, honestly, the iterative process, which is really what we're talking about here, happens all the time in kindergarten, doesn't happen very much in high school, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And some of that's APs testing, things like that. But again, uh, but so for the book, going back to that just real quick, it's more about let's talk about those little structures that we can change, asking questions, opening failure and saying, i trying this today, guys. What do you think will happen? You know, maybe I'll mess up. How do we fix it? I think that's important. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Carl, for joining us today live at ISTE on the Generative Live at ISTE on the Generative Age podcast. So, Tell us what's coming on next. So uh, next time we're going to be joined by John Spencer. I'm really excited about that. He's going to be joining us on September 18th at 7 p.m. The registration link is not live yet because NiceGate is migrating to the new system. So it's not live yet, but if you go to alanawinick.com and join my mailing list, I will notify you the second registration is up. I'm also in communication with our friend, Ken Shelton, to talk about AI discrimination and bias. So that's going to be really exciting too. And I just met with Vicki Davis, who I think is going to join us here. Yeah, I'm getting some big names on there. Pulling them all in. Yeah. And then you just have me. Sorry. It's just me. Just Carl Hooker. (laughs) And we need you. So if you have any ideas for guests, please let me know. I'm happy to reach out. And if you think you'd be a good guest, please reach out and let me know. And I just want to say thank you for tuning in. If you were here live, if you're listening to the recording, we wouldn't be able to do this without you. So thank you so much. And a big Thank you to NiceGate because none of this would be possible without NiceGate. Mary Beth and Amy here, thank you so much. Thank you to the tens of dozens of audience members walking by with giant TVs and suitcases in their hands. All right. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Generative Age, powered by NiceGate. We want to remind you that you can join us during the live recordings of these conversations and engage with like-minded colleagues. This is a great opportunity to ask questions, participate in back-channel discussions, and engage in breakout room activities to further your understanding of the topics we discussed. Stay informed about the latest developments in AI and education by following us on social media at generative underscore age. Join us next time for another exciting conversation. Until then, keep learning and keep growing in the generative age.